Hi, everyone. Welcome to Impact by Choice podcast with your host, Andrada Anite, where we discover how people choose to make an impact on the world around them. Starting today, every Thursday, we will bring you a special episode which aims to provide you with insights from my book, The Man, the Moon, and the Casquette, and wisdom related to the lessons in the story. For this endeavor, Rahila Khan will be your co-host for the Book Insights series, offering you the opportunity to learn more about who she is, what she does, and how did she perceive this write-up. In reference to her LinkedIn profile, Rahila Khan is an educationist, a journey practitioner, a facilitator of emotional and spiritual intelligence program, lateral thinking skills, and problem-solving techniques. In this show, everything she will be sharing in reply to my questions is as a result of her over 30 years of direct experience in facilitating workshops for children, women, professionals, and businesses as an advocate in leadership of love. This series will be structured in the following manner. There will be a short description from the first, uh, from each chapter. And then I will address my guest a question. So for today, we will be talking about uh, the first chapter, which is called A Simple Man. And the summary goes like this. Um, we discover a part of the main character's family history and actual environment he grew up in. Now, Arian's parents love glamour as they consider themselves superior to others and fully entitled to be adored by society. Therefore, they throw loud parties until light, late at night and at the same time, as a guiding characteristics of their existence, they stick to the syntax, it has always been this way. You see, from early ages, of Arian's existence, they, they found out about the, his exceptional capacities uh, of, of the brain, and that makes them despise their child. And due to all the above-mentioned aspects, the parents would do anything to put their child down, make him feel miserable, unwanted, and unloved. As a consequence, Arian grows up with a strong feeling of unworthiness, carrying a serious lack of self-esteem into adulthood. That was the, the, um, the summary of the chapter. And now I would like to welcome our guest, Hira Hila. Welcome to Impact by Choice. It's an honor to have you. Um, Hi, Andrada. Hi, Andrada. Warmest greetings to you and all the listeners out there. First and foremost, huge gratitude. I'm so honored and privileged to be sharing my insights and deeper meanings with you and the listeners uh, about your book. That, that, that's great. You know, it's, it's a huge honor for me to have you here, as I said. Um, as I know, you're a very, very wise woman from which I learn a lot, you know, each day. Um, and um, let, me, let me please ask you, in regards to the first chapter, I know that, that you, 
you liked the book very much and I know that it it left you with such a sweet taste you know after after reading it and that it related very much to you that's so, correct so for today I would like to ask you you know considering all the experience that you have <clears throat> in working with families and with uh, women children and uh, all type of of people over the last 30 years um, what is it that you'd like readers to understand uh, specifically about Arian's existence in such an as uh, such an environment as his you know uh, as presented uh, by his family you know um, in other words what should be in your vision the takeaway for the readers from this section that's a brilliant question, Andrada. Um, <clears throat> to begin with, I love your choice of word, um, existence. What was his existence? Many humans, as we know, have a mere existence in life. And what is this existence? This existence is perhaps not really, you know, fully engaging and experiencing the juice of life. When there's no greater purpose and meaning, all we do is, you know, we feed the body with food, let it sleep, walk and sit, and that becomes existence. So with, with Arian growing up in a toxic environment with his parents, um, and what we find when, when we have children growing up in a toxic environment, there's a total disconnect between parents and the child. And that is where the child what we come to see is the child does not stop loving its parents, rather it stops loving itself. And that is truly sad. So what I've seen, you know, what I've come to see in the first chapter when we're looking at his parents, um, they have taken on quite uh, a negative belief system in social standing, and we spoke about this several times. Uh, about parents, you know, it's learned behavior and conditioning where we learn as parents to do what's expected of us by our elders and what society wants us to be. So to feel socially included and accepted, adults would engage in senseless drinking and chatter to socialize and be part of a group. Now, a child as super intelligent as Arian, am I saying his name correctly? It's Aryan or Arian? It's okay. Yes, it's correct. All right. It's Aryan. Um, you could see, you know, through the illusion. He could see through the illusion of his parents' negative belief system um, in the social standing of, you know, in the, in the context of what a real family should be. He could see the lies, the illusion. And, and that didn't resonate with him because he, he, he's somebody who has great wisdom. He has latent genius. And somehow I picked up in reading, you know, the first chapter that he, he actually his parents didn't um, quite know what to do with his super intelligence. And, and they did tell him that continuously, you know, that he is intelligent, that he must make something of himself. However, in the first chapter, what I saw was... Um, Sometimes parents become the child and the child the parent. You know, the old adage is the son becomes the father of the man. It's a very powerful statement, although it's an old adage. So 
Ariane couldn't fit into the run of the Mill family um, or have parents, you know, like the way his parents were, because all they wanted for him is a job, a marriage, and, and to have grandkids, perhaps. So that is very limited. They set limitations for him, and he knew he was far more than that. Right. And that is what every parent is programmed to believe by elders in society, how to fit in, how to fit into somebody else's box. It's not about the social standing of acquiring just a job, a family, property, car, holidays. And, you know, so often coming through the different decades, we've seen that as being successful. Is that success? I don't think so, you know, according to the new generation and the way Arian wants. He could not fit in. So in order to fit in and belong places huge stress on a child. And so often, if the child does not have the inner resourceful states uh, or the skills, that child cannot communicate, you know, to the parents uh, exactly what he's thinking. And this is where we have failed relationships in the home between the generations. There's a huge gap. Arian so knew, knew better that there was so much more to life than meets the eye. And when he was at a crossroad that December, on the 3rd of December, he told himself, I will accept whatever comes my way. And he did. He knew deep down at that crossroad, if he had a choice of being in that box with his parents, he chose freedom versus family and society with all its limitations. He knew that he didn't only belong to a small family. In fact, he belonged to an entire universe. And that was what was beckoning to his soul. And that it's is so when beautiful. he chose. Sorry, I just, I just felt like telling you that that's, that is so beautifully, you know, puts the fact that he belongs to the universe. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yes, and rather that's a very, very uh, powerful statement because once again, we, the limitations of what elders and society tell us all the time is to stay small. In staying small, they feel they can control you, they could discipline you, they could make it easier for, for what they're going through in life. And of course, you know, sadly, nobody gives, you know, parents, our parents had no parenting manual as such. No parent gets a parenting manual. So right. each parent is trying to find their way through their hardships coming from their past generational patterns. So they don't know any better. All they know is that, you know, you have to go out, work, get into a business and provide for your children got to provide for your family. The man was seen to be the protector, the sole provider at one time. And coming through the different, you know, industrial revolution and coming into the fourth industrial revolution, we find that things have changed where women earn far more money than men. Uh, women are far more powerful in certain positions that they occupy. So in doing all of that, a lot has changed and very little has changed in that even though we have all the material uh, wisdom, we lack the spiritual wisdom. And I think that is where the dysfunctionality is 
because all our focus has come into being the programming is you've got to work hard to take care of your family. And that has become the daily mantra of parents. And, and that is where children observe this. And they are saying no to that. There's more to life than materialism. So what my experience has shown and coming through my own journey of life of being a single mom, I had to learn in it sometime, and you can resonate with this as or most women or even single dads, that when you are left on your own as a single parent, that you have to be father and mother to a child. And um, right. you have to work very hard. And in that, you lose the human touch because the focus is on providing and paying and paying, you know. So the payments just keep accumulating and we just keep paying. So I had to learn that even for myself in how to let go of that. There's far more to life than just earning money and providing. Um, we miss out on the juice of life. And the juice of life is how do you really feel? How was your day at school today? And when children come home and they share with parents the day, for example, that somebody might have bullied them or their lunch might have fallen down and they didn't have lunch. And when they come home and the parent is too busy on the phone or too busy with some business uh, meeting or something of that nature where we don't give our child our total presence in that a child is sharing something that is so painful for him that we don't give him a minute of our time because we're so busy preparing supper that he's saying, in other words, I've been bullied. Somebody pushed me and my lunch fell down and I hadn't eaten the whole day. Instead of the parent leaving whatever he or she is doing and spending the time with the child and say, please tell me, how did that make you feel? How did it make you feel that you were pushed and your lunch fell down and that you had nothing to eat? So when we go into the emotionality of a situation, we empower our children then with greater skills to deal with these situations. We don't teach them this when they are in their teenagers. We don't teach them this when they are adults. Even as adults, we still don't have these skills to render us competent, you know, in having good relationships. And that is where we fail even in business because we don't have the skills to ask our, our teams or the people that we manage and supervise, you know, how does it feel? How, you know, I heard you lost your mom or your dad or you were in an accident. How are you? How are you really? And this is what was lacking in Arian's life um, with his parents. They were too busy with themselves. They were too busy parting, as you said. Um, they're too busy with what society has to say. So there's no one communicating with him. What is the point of him being in a home where there's adult parties going on and dysfunction, dysfunctional adult behavior? He felt completely lost in this sea of negativity. And, and given a choice, he chose to leave home. And in leaving home, he found his path, uh, you know, and he met this old 80-year-old uh, woman, rather. And, and, and that was really, truly amazing in how when he made the choice to choose freedom, the whole universe conspired when he made the choice to walk his path alone. So here's another lesson that we each come through our parents who are biological parents, biological family, 
that we learn our lessons and maybe our parents are just there to give birth to us, to take care of us in some way. And then for us to leave and walk the path alone. And what do we do? Through the power of the universe, that coming out of our biological family of the past, what happens? We meet somebody like Radha in, in him feeling so nurtured uh, by a cosmic mother. And that is how we find our cosmic family of loving, caring, and sharing. Isn't that awesome that we could do this even via a virtual platform of like something like LinkedIn? Um, for us, you know, for us to find soul groups, I'm so grateful to have found you as part of my soul group, as a sister, as a friend, as my soulmate, that I can share things which I could not do with my biological family. And, and this you. is, yes, <laughs> you know, and this is where the loving, the caring and nurturing arises, where we can truly be present to somebody's emotional needs, where we can be totally present to somebody's challenges. And for having all the skills that we each bring, you know, on the LinkedIn family, in the various groups that we have created, or even in the one-on-one -on -one sessions that we have with each other that we could totally be present and be there in helping and sharing and guiding. So I think your book in the first chapter uh, brings that out very, very uh, clearly for me. It's, it's um, a path of self-discovery. It's a path of self-mastery. And self-mastery can only begin when you are alone and silent, like Ariane on his path because you don't know where the universe is taking you. All you know is in the thick mist, you can only put one foot in front of the other and step by step going into the unknown of seeking yourself, of being the pioneer, of finding self, that you believe with absolute certainty that the universe is conspiring to guide you. And what happens then, we start believing in the unseen. Because in the thick mist, we don't know what awaits us. So in taking a step at a time, as we venture into the thick mist, we begin to see the light step by step. And that is enlightenment. And yes. when he met, yes, and when he met Radha, and she, she took him in. And you know what was so beautiful in the way you scripted it? In the way he ate his breakfast. He savored it. It's only when you're hungry and when you don't have that you're totally present because you, you've got nothing else that your mind has to think about. All your focus and attention is on the breakfast that you can savor where your five senses are fully engaged in the meal, in what you see, how it tastes. You can even hear yourself eating. You can even feel how the food makes you feel. And I think as human beings, for me, that was, that was very powerful in the way he ate his meal and feeling that love from a woman he didn't know. And how often on LinkedIn we feel that. We don't feel the, the human presence of somebody close to you. Yet on a virtual platform right now, I can feel your warmth. I can feel your focus and attention. I can feel your presence that you are 100% engaged in what I am saying right now. And so are the listeners. And, and this is what 
I was so amazed to see unfolding in your book. The way you have scripted it for me was really, truly um, amazing and very powerful because your words, your words in the way you've chosen them, the way they, they were scripted, spoke to my soul. And I'm sure most readers, um, you know, in the feedback that I've seen on LinkedIn feel the same. It's very, very powerful, Andrada. Thank you very much, Verkila. It's, it, it's, you know, it's, um, I feel honored to, to learn such feedbacks. And every time that I, that I read or I see a video about my book, it's like, you know, the greatest honor that I can receive from, from the readers. Um, you know, when, when you get this kind of feedback, you know that your work was not in vain and that the passion that you put in, in that work, because I put all my passion and everything I do is I do with passion. Um, when you, when you get that, you, you know, that your work is valued. And, um, what, what I would like to add here in regards to my own reaction is that we should not add up to, um, you know, being proud because in my view, you know, pride comprises ego. Um, mm. and I believe that we should be happy that is happening instead of, you know, uh, <clears throat> being proud. But of course, perception is everything and everyone has their own perspective, but I am very happy when, when I'm learning all this. So I, I couldn't be more grateful than, than having your feedback today. <laughs> so thank you. Um, yeah. One other thing I want to share with you is um, <clears throat> so often, and I know this because I've trained, you know, if you ask me where all my money is, I've invested it in myself, traveling around the world and getting various teachings from various masters, including, you know, the different teachers in South Africa. Um, I spent most of my money um, in training programs and resetting certain programs like the journey. Uh, and what I found is that sometimes we go into to various programs um, for training and learning and also to teach. And what I like about life and what I've experienced in life, I mean, I've been a teacher my entire life uh, with my background being education that I'm teaching in the most profound way now, as I did in the classroom, um, that nothing can happen robotically. That when we learn, we cannot learn from any textbook. We can acquire knowledge via Google or any textbook. I've done a lot of research and I've done a lot of reading. Uh, and I gained a lot from various masters and, and teachers. So. I also feel, and I'd like to share this because for me, this is very important, that the mind and the intellect cannot resolve human issues. You cannot learn things from a textbook and just implement it. Um, it's an exercise in futility, as I've seen through all my case studies and working with people. Um, so life will teach us. We take the knowledge we take the teachings from various masters, only we can experience it. And in experiencing life, that is the best place to teach from. So it is authentic. And I think, you know, we're moving in the 21st century and I'm going to, you know, engage with you when I, when I do my first book 
about uh, human capital. In looking in terms of how how are we as humans, and this is why I'm I'm so passionate about being an advocate uh, in leadership of love, because love is the single most missing ingredient in being human. We've lost it through a passage of time because the focus became on earning uh, money and becoming financially you know, self-sufficient and, and acquiring materialism. And we forgot our spiritual being as God created us through the DNA of father and mother. And I'd like to make reference to divine father and mother. And therefore, right at the beginning, I said that as children, when we grow up, because we're being so programmed by the past on how to be, we stop loving. It's not that we stop loving the divine father and mother. We stop loving ourselves. And for me, it is about finding self. It is about not the I, me, or my as the I specialist. When I say self, I talk about self as the divine creation of God. The self that is without all the past programming, without all the intracellular memories of pain and suffering and struggle and fitting in somebody's box. It is about living life authentically. And that is the difference between the word, as I mentioned earlier, which you mentioned rather, existence and living. There's a huge difference in the two. So existing is when we exist without a greater purpose and meaning. So when we find self and we become authentic, something divine happens within self. Something touches you at a deep soul level um, that you start living life more purposefully, more meaningfully. And that is where, you know, we speak about kindness. We speak about gratitude. We speak about compassion, empathy. And these are higher human values and higher states of consciousness. So in looking at Aryan, and, we'll, and as we progress in the next few chapters, we would see his life journey and how it unfolds uh, in the various teachings of how you become your authentic self, that actually you do not need to go to any school or any university to learn about life, to learn about human resources. Nobody can teach you that. You can only learn it for yourself, as we will learn you know, uh, in the chapters to come about how HR works, human resources, human potential and capital, that nobody can teach you that, only life can teach you that. You will only learn from other humans that are there in front of you in every given moment to teach you something. And that is where the greatest learning comes. So with all the knowledge that we acquire via Google or textbooks or through university or however, it all adds up. So in looking at human resources, it's all about performance and being productive and taking action. And you can only do that when you're in a healthy state of being. And when you are in a healthy state of being, and when you're divinely connected to the whole universe, you create so effortlessly. Everything flows. You, you mirror what, what nature teaches us. And we, we learn all the time from nature. So we become this beautiful river that takes birth from divine father and mother in the mountains. And as it meanders downhill and through all the challenges and obstacles, what does the river do? 
the water meanders. It goes around the rocks. It goes over the rocks. It would move the rocks. It would go under the rocks. It would leave no stone unturned in finding its way. And for me, that is the greatest self-mastery that exists. Because when we watch nature and then we see again how the bird wakes up every morning and sings, it has nothing, it has no home, yet it has its nestlings to feed, and yet it chirps and it sings. And it knows with absolute certainty in working with the universal laws, by the end of the day, it will have its home, the nest, and it will have the worms of food for its babies. So we learn from that in business. We learn how to create consciously in business that there's so much abundance that the universe gives us. It's so benevolent that we can also create for our employees, that we can also create in an orphanage, you know, the way Radha did in offering uh, a place for him to stay and offer him food. She didn't think that, oh, Here's somebody I don't know. Actually, I don't have much to give. She didn't think that. All she knew was she just wanted to comfort him. She just reached out as a mother to him. And that is instinctive. And that's what we learn from nature. So there's so many different components, Anrada, that's, you know, unfolding in the first chapter. And, you know, you ask me the question, or perhaps you want to ask me, the next question is, what do we take away from this chapter? Can exactly. I? Exactly. Yes, please. Okay. So, what do we take away from this chapter? For me, in what I'd like to share with, with the listeners is that in life, we always have choice. When you are at a crossroad, there are two stories that, that exist. The one story at the crossroad could be your past and what is, and the next story that you can create is the next road or path that you take is one of freedom. So that choice that's there is dependent largely on where each person is in their life. And that one choice will change and mold the rest of your life. So you can stay in, in some, I'll use this analogy of the frog, and I'm sure many listeners out there, even yourself, would have heard this. Um, you know, a frog sitting in the boiling water. It will sit in the boiling water. And of course, what will happen? You'll obviously feel the heat. And it's the same in a toxic relationship or in a family. You can sit in the boiling water like the frog for however long it takes. But one day, something will happen where you will hop out. And that right. decision that you make will change the rest of your life. So it's the same with Ariane. That's exactly what he did. And then we realize that when you make those decisions, you are on your own. Because so often you won't get your family supporting you because they are so programmed to believing where they are and what they are doing is the right way. But they wouldn't know your soul story or what your soul journey is. So they cannot tell you that. Only you can find that. And so often others would tell us what not to do for fear because they do not know any better themselves. So in order to protect you, they will stop you. Just know that. People will stop you from doing something 
because they are afraid themselves. They see you have so much potential, you have so much light that they're afraid of what you might do with them. And Nelson Mandela said this, and it was such a profound, he, he was an amazing leader and his wisdom also, you know, sticks a lot with all of us globally. And what he said was, never ever be afraid of your light. Most people are afraid of their light. So parents, not knowing any better, will hold you back because they can only see from their perspective. They can't see other perspectives of where you are. So sometimes, because we are children, they will stop us and want us to fit in the box because that's the only way they know how to control us and to discipline us. However, growing up, like... Ariane, when you are more mature, you know you have the skills, you know you can make it on your own, you don't need their permission. You can live your life however you want to. And that is the path of self-discovery, which I really, you know, that sets uh, the first chapter, you know, sets the, the tone for the rest of the book, because that is what kept us as readers so engaged as what's going to happen next? Where is he going, gonna, you know, going to go next? I'm and so it was happy lovely. To learn this. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy to learn this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And what was so nice, because I've seen this, and that's why it resonates with my soul, because I chose to do that. I had left home because my, my family didn't uh, agree to the person I wanted to marry, but I was so in love. I so believed in, in, in love that I only believed in love, and I, and I was walking on cloud nine. And I married the person of my dreams. And, and I lived it, you know. It's, it's, it's a story. My life story is what movies are made of, a love story. And it's interesting, after 25 years, I wanted something different. And only I could get out of it to make the difference. Because if I stayed in that marriage, I wouldn't be having this chat with you today. Because I had to hop out like that frog. And I had to make the choice like Ariane. And what was the most beautiful thing is the various people, the most amazing people showed up along the way to bring out the best in me and the best they would bring out in you when you awakened within, you know, to see that. To be fully present in yourself, to, to be in absolute freedom. So in order to have freedom, you got to have peace. You can't have freedom if there's no peace. So you've got That's to make so peace true. with yourself. You've got to come to peace within yourself to enjoy freedom. And I, it took me a long time to learn that. I'm also just awakening to all of this myself. And, and, and that is what enlightenment is, is when you have a certain experience and you wake up and you feel enlightened. That's only enlightenment there is because we are all a speck in the whole universe, but we're all part of the universe. It's like the droplet in the ocean. So other people will make us feel as small and limited as a droplet until you awaken and you see, oh my God, I am this big wave. I am a droplet in the big wave. And yes, I can make a huge splash. And when you make that splash, it is the most incredible freedom that you can feel. Um, because, you know, they say life begins at the end of your comfort zone. So when you're out of your comfort zone, you can make huge splashes in the big wave. You don't have to feel small. You don't need to limit yourself 
you know, the sky is the limit. So the choice we have is, do we choose to stay in a toxic environment or do we choose to have freedom? And the same would apply in your personal life, the same would apply in your work situation, the same would apply in your business. And, you know, in completion, I'd like to leave the listeners with this beautiful quote by Rumi. And he said, and I quote, you have to keep breaking your heart until it opens. And I unquote. So when you look within, you awaken. Thank you so much, Anradha, for this beautiful opportunity of sharing. I hope your listeners will enjoy this first you know, part of the chapter that we unpacked. Thank you so much for, for sharing. Um, I wasn't even aware of that there's so many lessons in only one chapter. So it's like, an, again, it's an honor to, to learn this feedback from you and um, to realize that what I wrote actually, you know, um, brings value to people. Why not? Um, and I, I liked especially from what you told, told us today, you know, um, because I can relate very much to, to you know, the parents that, that engage most of their time, you know, in, um, um, in becoming financially self-sufficient and providing to the children. Um, and, you know, that um, most times forget to ask their kids how they actually feel, you know, below that shallow surface and just go deep within and actually understand that kids are allowed to feel and them as parents should try to understand what, what you know, the real feeling of the child is and not just uh, preventing their children to feel uh, for instance, sad or abandoned or in whatever way, you know, so it's, it was a huge teaching for me today as well, so that I have a new approach for my own children. Um, and uh, yes. there was, on the other hand, um, you know, everything that you told us about self-discovery um, is just, you know, so such a huge value that you added just by discussing, you know, the first chapter of my book. So I'm tremendously happy and grateful that you accepted to, um, you know, walk in this adventure with me in, in extracting all this insight from the book and um, sharing it with, with the listeners. And I'm, I'm sure that, that the listeners will definitely enjoy your teachings um, because there's, there's a lot to take to take away from that so again thank you thank you thank you so much so very much for, <laughs> for doing this with me Rahila. it's a pleasure to have you on uh, thank you so much Anradha yes I remain a humble servant of the universe in learning there's so much that we can learn from each other and through nature so once again lots of love and blessings and uh, and deep gratitude you know for for your genius in sharing through your book in so many ways. And I'm sure there are many people out there who will come up with their own versions of what you've written as well. I'm just giving you my perspective. And uh, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I'm sure, 
you know, we are here to learn and share together. So thank you very much. Lots of love and a big hug to you. Of course, and the listeners will meet you again next Thursday uh, because for uh, the next at least 10 weeks, we will be doing this every week, providing insights from the man, the moon, and the cascade with Rahila Khan here at Impact by Choice podcast. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you again for joining Rahila. Bye-bye now.